Good morning. I like summer. I like preaching during the summertime. Most people are on vacation, not many people in church. I can say with lots of things and get away with it. Let's join in the Shema. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Together. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You may be seated. David has started a series, Sermon on the Mount, and we try to listen to each other as we preach and share the Word of God to make a central vein go through the Scriptures. Jesus is talking about the wisdom to live life. And as I remembered, David, the last sermon I heard was on adultery. Thank God he got that one. And, uh, and then I try to remember what he said to relate to what I'm saying today. For the life of me, the only thing I can remember he said was that he was not a candidate for the Chippendale calendar. That was news to me. I thought bald was in. So, Okay, you can start the recording of this sermon right now. Treasures in heaven. Verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice that the heart always follows the treasure. Now, did Jesus really think we would have problems with our materialistic goods? Did he? 38 of the parables he taught, 16 of them, dealt with money. In the scriptures, there are about 500 verses that deal with prayer. Nearly 500 to deal with faith. And over 2,000 deal with what? Money. Yeah, money's a pretty good barometer of what we do with placing our trust in God. And the and the thing I think that Jesus is trying to tell us today, it's not simply about money and about finances. It's about where you place your trust. Where is your security and how do you see God in that equation? Now, in the Middle East, wealth was in silver and gold, still a standard today. But clothing, fine clothing, was a sign of wealth. Solomon, who Jesus mentions here in the Scriptures, was probably one of the best-dressed dudes in Israel. One of the wealthiest men in the world. All the way to Samson, who killed a lot of men to get their wardrobes to pay off debts. All the way to the foot of the cross, where Roman soldiers threw lots for Jesus' clothes. Clothing was a sign of wealth. Probably why Jesus mentions moth and rust. In the Greek, they mean the same thing, really. An eating away or an eroding of something. And Jesus says, if you place your treasures here, they're not going to last. Essentially, he's saying, as far as I'm concerned, it's fool's gold. Another sign of wealth was grain placed in big barns. And the the scripture says thieves breaking in. What that really means from the Greek is a digging through. Most all the structures were made of dried mud in the Middle East. And so they would just wait till the master was gone, dig through the back of his house, and grab the treasures. Or the grain, if it wasn't a two-legged thief, it was a four-legged thief. Mice and varmints and rats that got the grain as they dug through the barns. Jesus said, if you place your security in these things, they're not going to last. 
If you do place your trust in these things, they will always be at the mercy of something as insignificant as a moth, as subtle as rust, and as numerous as thieves that break in and steal. Just last week, I parked on the west side of our church on a Sunday. I was going to spend Sunday school with the young singles. And as I got out, there was a young lady there that was scooping up broken glass from her car window. She'd just been broken into. And so I apologized to her profusely, told her that we normally had parking security. And she said, no, no, the parking security is here. They were just on the other side of the church when they broke in over here. As we sat down with consultants and asked them how we could secure this campus, they said, you can't. The best that you can do is provide the best illusion that you can, that you are secure. And I think it's so here, too. It's an illusion. Because you see, in our day and time, we don't store up grain in barns. We have something way more secure called the stock market. What? Oh, If you're around 80 years old, you remember the Great Depression, huh? Stock market crashes. 9-11 taught us all that we are not safe in this world. It's fool's gold to believe that. And if you say to me today, Troy, you don't know what you're talking about in finances. Mine is secure. Well, you're probably right that I don't know what I'm talking about. But I will tell you this, that old age is a moth that will eat away at you. Disease. Disease is the rust that will erode the very fabric of the joy that you had in earthly things. And death, death is a thief. And when he breaks in, he steals everything. No, don't place your treasures here on earth. Well, you ask, well, then how do you place them in heaven? Jesus told the rich young ruler, whom some of us think was John Mark, as a matter of fact. He said, how, what do I do to be saved? And Jesus said, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And then you will have riches in heaven, right? I'm a firm believer that everything you do for the kingdom of God, either financial, by the sweat of your brow, the time that you give, which is probably more precious than money, when you pray for people and care for them, you place treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't get to and thieves don't break in and steal. Any treasures you really have faith in below heaven, you've aimed too low. It's fool's gold. Jesus goes on and says the eye is the lamp of the body, meaning the eye is the apparatus we use. Light comes through and we're able to see things. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now listen to this. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You get that? I've read that scripture a thousand times, and every time I ask the same thing, the question I ask myself, what in the world is he talking about? What is Jesus saying here? It might help to know that in the Middle East, a single eye meant a generous man, good character. But a double-vision man was a man that was stingy, a man that was greedy, you probably remember Jesus telling the story about the rich fool who had his barns full of grain, but he tore those down to build bigger ones and fill them up again. And Jesus said, it's fool's gold. You'll be dead tomorrow. And then where will it go? It's also neat to notice that in the Greek, 
The words that Jesus uses here to describe the eye, the good eye, the bad eye, is the same word we use in the Greek to get the word astigmatism. Astigmatism in your eye, which very basically, because I'm not an eye doctor, means that the lens is folded in such a way that when light comes into the lens, it's diffracted and diffused. You get double vision, kind of. It's a bad eye. Now listen to what Jesus said. It's very interesting. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says you can't have a double vision about this. Is he saying that you can't have a stock? You can't have a savings account or life insurance? No. Those are the standards of currency we use today. God knows that you need them. But if you place your trust in them instead of the one who gave them to you, It'll be gone. It's fool's gold. Jesus says a double vision does not serve two masters. Now, if you have two masters and they're going down the same path, that's okay. But sometime in this life, those masters are going to part. By some event, Jesus goes this way, the wealth goes that way. Then you will know which master you serve because you can only follow one of them. The reason Jesus says this is because he gets into the next verses about worry and then the rest of the chapters about that. Jesus knows that the offspring of material things in our life, if we put our trust in them, the offspring is worry and anxiety. It reminds me of a guy by the name of Jim. Jim worried about literally everything. His friends were concerned about him. He was taking a toll on his health. One day, Jim comes into the local diner, and things had changed. He was happy. He was uplifted. He looked great. And his friend said, Jim, what in the world has happened to you? He said, guys, I don't worry anymore. You don't, I don't worry anymore. Well, how did you accomplish that? Well, I pay a man to worry for me. Are you serious? I pay a man to worry for me. I don't do that anymore. They said, that is, by the way. How much does that cost, Jim? A thousand dollars a week. A thousand. Jim, how do you pay for that? I don't worry. He does. How ironic that if I told you today there would be somebody that you could employ to worry for you, you wouldn't do it because you would be too worried about paying the person that's going to worry for you. Can't you see what's happening? The things that we place our faith and our security in, that we are materialistic goods, we worry about how we're going to pay for them, how we can keep them. It's a cycle. It's a vicious circle. But here's what. I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal today. I'll find someone that can worry for you, and I'll get it paid for. You don't have to pay for a thing. Now who wouldn't take that deal? Yeah, we all would take that deal. It'd be great if we could do that, wouldn't it? Folks, Jesus is saying you've got the deal. Right here he's telling the people around him, the lilies of the field are so beautiful that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of them. And today they're here and tomorrow the women come and they gather them up and throw them in their ovens to bake bread. If they're beautiful today and gone tomorrow, how much more will God clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. And then Jesus goes on and he paraphrases a little bit. This is what I think he said. He says, Thomas, because I think Thomas there, he says, did you see this morning the sparrows? Did you see them get on their sparrow tractors and go to the sparrow field and start working? Didn't see that, Lord. 
Did you see them spray for the bugs and stuff? And Well, they probably ate the bugs. Did you see them water and weed? No, I didn't see that. Thomas, did you see the sparrows go to the sparrow bank and check their 401ks? That'd be enough to kill you, wouldn't it? No, they didn't do that, Lord. No, because God is the God of nature. He provides for them. And Jesus is saying, folks, if God made you in his image to be immortal, wouldn't he give you something to eat? You have little faith. You see, I think Jesus is saying it's that double vision thing where you think you can serve God, but you can have this too. And God says, you can't have trust in both. You have to get trust the one who is infallible completely, where there's no illusions, no division of the eye. The children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and they started toward the promised land, they got right there and they messed up. They fumbled. They couldn't go in because they didn't trust God. And so God said, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to let you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I love you. You're saved, but you can't go into the promised land. Your children can Now, did God do that to punish them, or was it for another reason? Here's what I think it was for. Those children, this is what they saw in 40 years. God fed them. He watered them just like sheep. He gave them a cloud by day to guide them and probably shade them from the hot sun. He gave them a really cool nightlight at night. I bet the kids loved that, that cloud with the fire in it. Their clothes never wore out. Their sandals never wore out. For 40 years, these children saw God provide everything for them, their every need. But then they got into the promised land. Time on, and their vision got divided. Because it says in the Scriptures that there was a king, Ahab. He was more wicked than any king before him. He married a gal by the name of Jezebel, and they followed the god of Baal, which is the god of fertility. The one who made the crops grow. And they divided the children of Israel's vision on whose God was God. And so God shakes his head. He sends Elijah. And Elijah comes to Ahab and says, buddy, you've messed up. God is going to show his people he is the God of everything. And for for a long time, it's not going to rain. And for three years, it didn't. And Elijah shows back up on the scene. This is what it says. I want you to hear this. When Ahab sees Elijah, he says... Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the bells. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher who eat at Jezebel's table. There's going to be a showdown on Mount Carmel. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people of Israel, and this is what he said. Listen to this. How long will you waver between two opinions? (laughs) How long are you going to have double vision on this? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. You see, their vision was divided. And so the showdown came. The prophets of Baal had their sacrifice, and and, and Elijah had his. And whatever God answered from heaven with fire won the contest. And as you know, the Baal's God couldn't do a thing. And God sent such a bolt of fire from heaven that it burned up everything, even the stones. And the people rejoiced and said, God is God. Our vision is no longer divided, and we know now 
and he sent rain to the land. About three or four years ago, they placed a Hindu temple out at Helotus. And some of us are watching that because we know in the Old Testament, when people start worshiping idols, it, it's dangerous and things start getting bad. The truth of it is there's a Hindu temple in most every city in the United States. And as we think about those things, I think about the other side. Did they ever look at us and say, well, they have their temples too? There's a really nice one right over here called North Star Mall. There's a nicer one north called La Quintera. Now, that's a really cool one. But there's a really big one downtown called the AT&T Center. It is well attended in a winning year, right? Is our vision divided sometimes about who God really is? As I end the sermon this morning, I want to tell you a story. You can participate in the story. Let's pretend you're asleep. Some of you probably already are. But let's pretend you're asleep. And God comes to you in a dream. And he says, fly with me. And he takes you up out of our atmosphere into the heavens and into the space. And God's creating things. And you are one with God. You have never felt closer to God in your life. Nothing else matters. You cannot describe how you feel. God sees that you're enjoying yourself and he says, here, you create too. And he gives you power to create things. And you feel like the genie in Aladdin, all the cosmic power. And you're creating things and you're one with God. Nothing else matters. You don't know if ten minutes are past or a thousand years. But during that time, you notice that God goes over here to this little bitty planet every once in a while. He looks at it and looks like he's concerned about it. Then he flies off. And after a while, you go over there to take a look. And as you look at that little planet, you're confused because it's totally inhabited by dogs. Dogs. And they're not nice dogs. They're snarling and snipping dogs, and they're barking and biting at each other and fighting. It's chaos everywhere. And as you're looking at this, God comes to your side, and you say, God, what's this about? And he says, well, I created that world, and I created those dogs, and I love them. And you say, well, what's wrong with them? And God says, well, they don't know that I love them. They try to do everything on their own. And, and they, I haven't found a way to really reach them and tell them how much I love them. And before you think about it, you say, I'll go tell them. I'll go down there and tell them that you love them. And God looks at you and says, will you do that for me? I'll do that for you. And as you get ready to go down, God says, now, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you need to go as they are. Oh, I've got to become, yeah, oh, ah. Well, I can do that. I've been creating worlds with you and everything. I can do that. So as you start making your list about how you want to go, German, Shepherd, Renton, Tin, Lassie, you've got a whole list here. God says, oh, wait, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. You need to go not in power, but in my love. Not intimidating, but open to them. I'm thinking a Chihuahua. <laughs> what? Ch Chihuahua? Yeah, Chihuahua. Well, Chihuahua wasn't on your list anywhere. But you trust God and you say, well, you know what? Okay, chihuahuas are kind of fast. It's going to need to be. Okay, I'll go as a chihuahua. God says, great. He said, before you go, one more thing. Oh, okay, what's that? They're not going to like you. They're going to hate you, as a matter of fact. They're going to despise you, rip you apart. They're going to kill you. Mm. And as you consider that, God says, but don't worry. Three days after your death, I will raise you again to new life. You will be with me again. And your name will be above all names. 
And you don't know how long you think about it because of your love for the Father, though, you say, I'll do it. And right before you go, God says, there's one more thing. What else could there be? And God says, you have to remain a child forever. All eternity. You see, I don't think most Christians know that. You see, in the fifth chapter of Revelations, John is caught up in the Spirit. And God is showing him what the end times are like. And John says that he sees God sitting on a throne, Almighty. And he has in his hand a scroll. A very important scroll that has seven seals. The scroll has to be opened to continue. And so, someone that is worthy has to open the scroll. But they look in all of heaven. They look in all of earth and under earth. And no one is worthy to open the scroll. And John weeps greatly because no one can open the scroll. And then an elder comes to John and says, John, don't weep. We've found someone that is worthy to open the scroll. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. And John said he looks and sees the lion of the tribe of Judah as if he were slain. I'm a firm believer that when we walk through the pearly gates, we'll see Jesus with the scars in his hands and his feet, the scar on his side. And I think if you have a divided vision about who you're going to trust in this world, trust a God that knows you intimately, that holds you dear and gave up so much for you. And your treasures... If you've laid them anywhere below heaven, you've aimed too low. That's fool's gold.